Your state. Your team. Your show. This is Sports Nightly. Wandale in motion. They turn. Give it off to Mills. He picks his way to the one. He leans. He is in there. Touchdown, Nebraska. Mills gets it. His second touchdown of the season, and Nebraska has a lead here on the road. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. And here we are for a Tuesday night, Sports Nightly on the Husker Sports Network. Hope you had a good day today. Hope you survived a little storm that came through. I know out in the Columbus and York area had some freezing rain, some Ice holding down trees, cracking limbs off. That's not any fun. Hope you survive that today. It's going to warm up later in the week. They're calling for 50 degrees for kickoff on Saturday for the Huskers against Penn State. Busy show coming up in the next three hours. Here's what we have for you. We are going to be having our practice report here in a few minutes. Several of the coaches, including both coordinators, met with the media today. Uh, We'll hear from them here in just a few minutes. Hour number two, Nate Klaus of HuskerOnline.com will be here. We haven't talked with Nate for a while. Get an update on Husker football recruiting. Nebraska got a commitment on Thanksgiving night. Big defensive lineman from California, Jalen Weaver, that we'll get all the skinny on from Nate about him. He's the 20th member of the Nebraska 2021 recruiting class. Also, Nebraska has picked up a – Graduate transfer, linebacker from Northern Iowa. Nate has even talked to this young man, so we'll get the thoughts about this young guy to add some depth to Barrett Rude's linebacking room. We'll have, beyond the headlines, Austin and Mick will be, they guarantee me, this is an all-star selection they put together tonight. We'll have that in the second hour. Top 10 Tuesday, we're halfway through the NFL season. We'll go with our halfway through point MVPs of the NFL. We'll have that for you coming up in hour number three. And as always, phone lines are available to you. Our Sports Nightly hotline is brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse at phone number 531-500-4686. That also doubles up as our text sign if you'd rather fire us off a text. Open competition week. Ben, that's what we heard today. Uh, from the two coordinators, and we kind of knew that at the quarterback spot. Scott Frost kind of made that clear yesterday that between Luke McCaffrey and Adrian Martinez, it was going to be who played better in practice this week, was going to get the nod against Penn State on Saturday. But I think across the board, you're looking at the wide receivers where it was a big game for freshman Marcus Fleming. Nebraska has been starting guys like Cade Warner, Levi Falk, Wyatt Lewer. Well, Marcus Fleming flashed some good things the other day. Xavier Betts apparently has been coming on. He had a couple of catches in the game. Alante Brown. So I think that room has opened up a little bit. And then because of the targeting suspensions to Cam Taylor Britt and Deontay Williams in the secondary, I thought we saw some really good things from Miles Farmer and Quentin Newsom in that back end of that secondary. And all of a sudden, I think Travis Fisher's got to be going, all right, have the young guys caught the older guys. So – I don't mind this at all, Ben. You're 0-2. If it was 2-0 and and we were cooking right along, I don't think you'd, you'd try to disrupt this, but you're 0-2, and in a short season, they're in a whole lot of time. You're going to have to make adjustments quickly if you feel like it would help your football team. Yeah, I mean, I think 
the coaches have always said the best players are going to play. And, you know, if you've got guys that are outproducing others, then then put them in there and see what they have. Something's got to change, uh, w- you know, with this program. And, um, you know, as, as Coach Shenander today, I don't want to start threatening playing time or just start benching players. But, you know, it's time to give other, give other guys reps. Miles Farmer comes in, plays one half, has two picks. You know, I think you just got to see what some of these guys can do when they're thrown in there. Yeah, you know, if if the situation calls for it. So I'm all about it. I'm all for it. And even if, you know, we end up seeing the same starting 22 on Saturday, just the fact that some of these positions know they got guys on their tails, you know, and, and they better be focused every snap. They better not be jumping off sides. They better not be doing any boneheaded plays um, or, or their spot's going to get taken. So I, I think just the idea that, you know, they've got some guys catching on them and gaining on them in terms of, um, development, you know, that, that, that should be enough for some of these older guys to kick it in gear. You know, the first, the first week we talked a lot about Bo Wilson and how we thought Ethan Piper might step in and take his job, but an injury, you know, gave Bo Wilson another shot this last week with Jurgens being out. And that's just one example. I think there are uh, a handful of others that you better not be looking over your shoulder too much. or You're going to get caught. I love this. I mean, I, teams that are kind of stuck are ones that go, well, we, we don't have any other options. We, these are the guys we got to go with. I think Nebraska has options. And when we, we go all the way back to summer when we started doing our deep dive in our position breakdowns, we're going, boy, that position's got some depth now. So does that position. So does this position. We're not there across the board. There's some spots, inside linebacker being one of those, that you don't have a ton of depth in there. You're going to have to play the guys that are your front-line dudes. But – Secondary, absolutely you have depth. Offensive line, absolutely you have depth. And now wide receiver, what you've seen is the young guns have kind of caught the older guys in the program and probably have more talent. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I'm breaking news here by saying guys like Xavier Betts and Marcus Fleming and Elante Brown are more talented than some of those other guys. And they've now caught them, and I think – that's I think that's where you have to go. Urban Meyer, I caught him on on a BTN show today, and they were talking about Nebraska's offense and the quarterbacks, and only scoring thirteen points at Northwestern. And he said, he goes, I, he goes, when I look at them, he goes, I don't look at it as much at the quarterbacks as I do. Is he says I don't know if they have enough playmakers on the outside. And I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, Nebraska, that first year Scott Frost was here, he had both Stanley Morgan and J.D. Spielman, and an, an NFL back in Devine Zigbo. You had options to go do some things. Well, you came into this year with only one guy in the wide receiving corner, that was Wandale Robinson, that was kind of a proven commodity at this level. Some other guys are starting to develop into that, but I think that's exactly right. I'm putting myself in the shoes, Ben, of, a, of an opposing team's defensive coordinator, and I'm like going, okay, what scares him? And you see this all the time in the chalk talks in basketball. When you're breaking down the opponent, you're going, which guy could hurt us for 30 tonight or 25 tonight or could make six threes on us? Well, if you're a defensive coordinator looking at Nebraska's offense, the first couple of weeks you're going, yeah, Wandale, you got to keep an eye on number one. And those quarterbacks can hurt you with their legs because they can take off and go. But you get past that. And I don't know there was a whole lot out there to scare people. Marcus Fleming, Alante Brown, Xavier Betts, and hopefully Omar Manning. Yeah, I think then you start talking about maybe worrying some guys. Yeah, and if you can find a way to – I mean, I think Austin Allen too. And I think he, yep. you know the way that mm-hmm. he's been targeted as, as someone you at least have to, to diagnose and figure out where he's at. Greg, I was doing some diving today in, in Nebraska's drives, and 
uh, particularly this last week, and you even go back to Ohio State, the one shot Nebraska took against Ohio State was Travis Vokalek down the, the near sideline. It, it seems like all the shot plays are going to the tight ends. You know, the one to Austin Allen up the seam uh, that was intercepted was a, was a tight end. Uh, they tried a bunch of jump balls in the end zone to tight ends uh, with, with just 50-50 balls. So they're really trying to get the ball to the tight ends. We had a caller yesterday talking about how I think he said that you know Nebraska is really only using their tight ends in the flats. I would wholeheartedly disagree with that. Um, you watch the routes that they're running, and it seems like the only passes that travel 10, 15 yards down the field are the ones going to the tight ends. And I know that's a little bit um, – a little bit – ambitious and you know maybe over the top i know we hit some out routes to fleming but you know it seems like you know they're wanting to take shots but take shots to those bigger targets so i i'm with you though i mean there there isn't a ton right now on paper that that you're you're scared of mills is yet to get going he's averaging just about three yards a carry which is down from last year's average and you know there there are things that this offense needs to start doing you know you start picking apart what that year one under Scott Frost had and they had Stanley they had JD they had Adrian they had Mills or Divine you know they they had a lot of guys on that team that could hurt you and that's what made them so hard to defend is because Scott Frost could call whatever he wanted and they had players out there that could execute and, and that that trusted so you know I think there are parts that are on the team right now that can that can get there that can be there but you know, the time is now to start getting in there and being, you know, what you were recruited to be. Buckle up and put the phone down. A reminder from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. Scott Frost said this yesterday. I don't know. If, I don't remember if we played this clip last night, but he said, our big explosive plays right now are coming back, coming from our quarterback run game. Those have been the big plays. McCaffrey's big scramble at Ohio State. Adrian had two really good runs on a drive in the third quarter that ended with him throwing the pick in the end zone. This offense is predicated on getting your athletes out in space and getting big chunks of yards. It has not been there, and thus the 13 points. The offense can still operate. It can still move it. It gets tougher the closer you get to the end zone because you don't have as much space to operate in. And I think that's why this team was one of six in the red zone in scoring touchdowns on Saturday. That's not going to cut it against really good teams. And that's why I think you're hearing open competition week. And I think a wide receiving core might be a number one for that. Here we are back on a Tuesday night sports island here on the Husker Sports Network. And time for us to launch into tonight's practice report. Every practice. We're going to work on it every single day until these guys master it. All season long. There's nothing better as an athlete than being part of something that's bigger than just yourself. And I think these guys are starting to feel that and we'll keep building it. It's time for a Husker football practice report on Sports Nightly. Brought to you by JTAC. Football is back and soon the cold weather will be too. If your windows aren't ready for winter, call JTAC Construction. The official exterior experts of the Huskers for a free estimate. Well, mixed bag today at Husker media availability following practice. Offense and defense heard from both coordinators. We'll start first on the offensive side of the ball. And Coach Matt Lubick was asked about young playmakers Marcus Fleming and Xavier Betts and what they showed him against Northwestern. Yeah, really impressed when they got in and they, they played with confidence. Um, you know, first game jitters, is every coach worries about that. You know, the coaches, we worry about the basic fundamentals. Are we going to line up right? 
Uh, are we going to run the right route? Are we going to block the right guy? And for the most part, they did that. And, uh, and then secondly, are we going to play with great effort? And they, they did that too. So they did everything we asked of them. As a matter of fact, they probably superseded our, our expectations. And so they're going to continue to get more plays and more opportunities. And they're, they're doing a good job in practice as well. I mean, they made plays. They're, they're one of the few few players mm-hmm. on, on Nebraska's team that's not a quarterback that has made plays with this team. So I don't know why you wouldn't keep giving them a shot. Um, to follow that up, Coach Lubick was asked point blank, how do you create more big or explosive plays on the field? You know, getting the ball in, in playmakers' hands that can make explosive plays. A lot of big plays are, are made by when you might call a, a routine play that's designed to get six, seven yards and guys break tackles. So continuing to get the ball in, in playmakers' hands. Um, take advantage of what the defense gives you, specific coverage looks. If we get a tendency or a clip where, you know, we make that our, our first read and specifically attack that coverage to, to push the ball downfield. Um, taking more shots, which we did this game. We didn't hit all of them, but we took a lot more shots this game than the previous game. Um, and then when we have a chance to make the, the one-on-one catches or the or the big throw, um, we got to make it, you know. And then a big part of, like, big place for us, too, is in the run game. And, and the run game, that's not just the running back. That's the line, you know, getting them to the second level. And then that's the receivers doing a great job blocking the second level. And so the running back can, can explode. So it's, it's something we talk about all the time is getting more explosive plays. And it's really, it takes every position. It's not just the playmakers. It's the line giving us time to throw the ball downfield. It's the quarterback making the right read. It's the receivers attacking the ball. It's the running backs in, either in pass protection or running hard with the ball in their hands. Coach Lubick mentioned the running backs, particularly Dedrick Mills, um, in that cut there about him needing to contribute to the explosive play and not just hitting the home run. How does the offensive coordinator get his starting running back going? Dedrick's doing a good job. He's doing a good, really good job too in pass protection that people don't see. They always see just that the carries. Um, you know, I gotta, first of all, I got to give credit. We I, we've played two darn good defenses, um, really good defenses. Um, and so that's a challenge, you know, and obviously we got to rise up to that challenge and and get yards and score points and win the game despite that. But Diedrich specifically, uh, you know, just keep giving him the rock because sometimes, you know, as the game goes on, those two and three yard gains all of a sudden turn into six, seven yard gains. And he, he's one of those guys, too, that gets be- gets better as the game goes on because he's going to bring it every single snap. Um, you know, and give, giving him runs, which he does well. You know, that's, that's a big part of it the game plan with anybody if there's something a guy does really well put him in that situation so he can do it ben he played over 80 snaps saturday Diedrich mills did seems like a little too much now he didn't get that many carries i mean 19 carries that's a pretty good workload but as you mentioned he only averaged 3.1 yards per play marvin scott i think had about six plays got three carries so it was Diedrich was on the field all day saturday i don't know I don't know. I'm not sure that's in the best interest of him. And this staff seems, at least for two games, to be opposed to put, giving Wandale some carries. And, and maybe maybe Wandale doesn't want to have – I don't know. I, I mean, there's maybe more to this than, than we know. But, man, 80 snaps for a running back in a game. Even though you only get 19 carries, you're still out there blocking your run, and that's a lot. It's a lot on somebody. Yeah, and obviously no Ronald Tompkins available – uh, for a quick spell either and we thought you know maybe he was the closest um most available or or most uh, productive i should say back behind mills based on what we were told 
But, man, you think back to what made this offense go in year one. How many huge runs did Divine rip off for this offense that were huge explosive plays? He had the two long touchdown runs against Illinois. Uh, man, you think to, to really the, the entire second half of the year, Divine Azigbo set the tone to the offense. And Mills did that in a couple of games last year, but – they're right. The running game has to get going and create some of those huge plays that we're talking about. Well, we've, we've been talking – Before you move on, real quick, the, the final snap count differential on Saturday was pretty wide. Nebraska had 88 offensive snaps. That's a boatload, right, in a football game. Northwestern had 65. So Nebraska had 23 more snaps of the football than Northwestern. That's a huge gap, and you lose. And, and won, and won the time of possession by a healthy amount, if I remember yeah. right, which is not something that, you know, this team does a lot with the way that it's supposed to move. And we'll get to tempo here in a second. Uh, but we talked already about competition for snaps and how there are a lot of positions on the field right now, including quarterback, that are open this week. Because really with any position. And, and right now we have a lot of jobs, not just the quarterback position, that are up for grabs. And so we're, this is an open competition week. I mean, we're giving guys, we're starting to make reps equal, which includes the quarterbacks, um, and just giving guys opportunities. You know, and yeah, and there's you can make an argument that you'd like to have a yeah, clear-cut one, but you can also make the argument that you want to have two good quarterbacks that are ready to play. And so, you know, it's it's I don't think there's a it's tough to give you a straight on answer on that one because and it's not just the quarterback positions. We've got really good competition going on at the receiver position. We've got we're changing some things at the offensive line. We've got competition at, at every position um, and it, competition. I'm a big believer. It makes you better, you know, and then because we got to see how guys respond to pressure and competition is pressure. We're going to have pressure in the game and guy, guys are rising to the occasion, you know, and so it's good. Like, for example, Luke, Luke's pushing Adrian, Adrian pushing Luke and I think that mutually makes them better okay so you hear there at the end about the the competition how it relates to the quarterbacks what determines the starter and is there a point during the week in which coach Lubick would like to have his starter out there on the field getting more reps uh, than the 50-50 split they're having right now you know I could see how it could be a delicate situation the what we're very grateful for is we've got I mean, they're two good quarterbacks, but they're two great people. And so both those guys want to win football games. And whoever starts on Saturday, the other guy is going to be his biggest fan. And I really believe that. And that's, that speaks a lot about those two guys. So that, that, that's the first thing. You know, from a quarterback position, we look for consistency, you know, making good decisions. Uh, you know, obviously we evaluate the game, but we also evaluate practice. Um, who's throwing the ball on time, throwing to the right guys. They both done a great job of making plays with their feet. But it's really it's going to come down to who's who's playing the most consistent. And then like at any position, you know, whoever starts the game is who we think at that moment can give us the best chance to win. I know who the fan base wants right now, Ben. And, and you know, that, that shouldn't be the determining factor. But and, and if Adrian has a great week in practice, he'll probably start. But I think that's going to disappoint a lot of people if Adrian gets the start and we're sitting here at 0-2. Man, I don't know. This is a sticky wicket, and Coach Frost was asked about trying to juggle it yesterday. This is not easy because this can this could fracture team. Although I think both guys are really popular within the team, but again, you're owing too. You got you've got to try to do some different things. I think right now. Yeah, and and boy, um, have I just missed so much having uh, a quarterback race. 
<laughs> to talk about on this show and to hear from fans every single day about who they think ought to be starting, which um, in 11 cases out of 10 is the backup. I mean, even when we've had four-year yeah. starters in the past, we you know, we've – We've been, you know, Jeremiah said it on the fifth quarter, and it's something we say on the show all the time. Backup quarterbacks always the most coveted position in the state of Nebraska every single year and, and everybody's favorite player on the team. So if you're completely out on Adrian Martinez, Nebraska needs them both to win. I mean, they're two of Nebraska's better players on that side of the ball. And so I don't know that you just take the ball out of Adrian's hands and put a headset on him and, you know, a green hat and say, okay, go go call signals. You're doing yourself a disservice as a football team when you have a guy like that just sitting and not participating. But I would completely agree with you that, you know, if Luke McCaffrey right now is indeed the guy that the coaches feel like gives Nebraska the best chance to win and provides that spark, he needs to be out there. And he can't be on the sidelines. So you're absolutely right. It's a very sticky situation. And, you know, it's hard to just say this guy or that guy and, and just roll with it based on what they both can do. Uh, something we addressed a little bit earlier um, about what makes offense the offense go and then contributes to the total number of plays is the tempo. What determines tempo? Is, that some, is, is it where the offensive coaches want it right now? And, and what other factors contribute to uh, running tempo when the game presents it? Well, we, so it's something we practice all the time is our tempo. And temp, tempo is, is we want to be a weapon for us. There's so many things that go into that. You know, there's some times where, you know, we want to help our defense out by maintaining the long drive. Um, there's sometimes, you know, we call it the tempo opportunity. This is an opportunity to do tempo because they're doing this. Um, you know, we practice that all the time. I think that's something we can always get better at. You, just like anything, there's something that you can always get a little better. Um, I think we do a good job still pushing the tempo in practice. Uh, we've kind of moved in and out of tempo in, in games. Uh, there's been times, like in the last game, where we did, especially in the two-minute drill, where we sped it up a little bit because we had to, and, and we moved the ball. Um, you know, and, and part of being able to go tempo is having positive plays. You know, and, and when you're, you know, when you're moving the ball and you have a drive going, it's a lot easier to go tempo. Um, you know, the, the one thing about tempo, when, when you have a negative play or you have a false start and then you're behind the chains, you want to get the right play called and, and make sure that everyone's in the right spot and you're attacking what you want to attack, which tempo doesn't always let you do that. Okay. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So there's, there's a lot of factors that go into it. Part of it's how does the defense responding to tempo? You know, if, if, uh, and if, is there a weakness the way they line up to a certain tempo formation? So we, we study that every day, you know, and that's a big part of our game plan is, hey, what, what can we tempo? When can we tempo? But to do that, you've got to practice it. You've got to practice it, practice it, practice it. And we've done that all camp and all, all summer. Ben, in the middle of that answer, he gave maybe the biggest retort to doing it is you do that, but then you jump off sides because your lineman can't get settled in. And it seems to me that when Nebraska, and I have no statistical data, Matt Stats may be able to figure this thing out, but it just seems to me over the last couple of years when we've tried to go tempo is when we get a false start or we get a legal procedure penalty or we get a wide receiver who's not quite lined up right because they're going so fast. That's how it seems to me. Yeah, and the other part of it, too, is when that happens, you're not going to rush to the line and get a play called when it's second and 13. You're just not going to do it. You're not right. going to waste it down or take a chance of a play not being executed 
for the sake of snapping the ball 15 seconds early and try and gas the defense. Right. Where if, you know, it's second and 13, you rush to the line, your miscommunication, you throw a ball out of bounds, it's third and 13, you don't complete the pass, you're punting. It doesn't matter how fast you run those three plays. It's three plays. You're giving the ball right back. So absolutely, you know, there are a lot of variables that go into uh, tempo on offense. Coach Lubick was asked specifically about Wandale. And is it as simple as just handing the ball on jet sweeps? Is it as simple as just diagnosing some plays, drawing up plays for him and running them in the game? Or is it more complicated than that? What you said is stuff that we can do, you know, and uh, and we got to do more as far as, you know, giving him carries, just different things. And again, giving him the ball um, of stuff that he does well, which in which and his skill set, he has a lot of things. Well, you know, he's, he's primarily a receiver and, uh, you know, they've done some things coverage wise, um, coverage wise and kind of just game dictations down in distance to, uh, you know, take, take him out of, of certain progressions. But that doesn't mean, to your point, there's very simple ways that anyone can understand that we can give him the ball. I and mean, he's proven he can carry the ball in the backfield. He's proven he can carry the ball in fly sweeps. Um, and that's something we talk about. All the, How are we going to get not just Wandell, who's a big-time playmaker, and we've got to give him the ball more, but how do we get all our, our playmakers the ball and in, in what they do? You know, like Both our quarterbacks are pretty good playmakers. How, how do we get them in situations where they have the ball in their hands and they do same thing with the receiver situation? You know, if we have a specific receiver that needs to get the ball in his hands, we we think about that in the game plan and we try to design plays to, to make that happen. I, I, I believe him when he says that, but at the same time, I, I feel like so much of the offensive emphasis the last or the first two games have been put on the quarterbacks that they've maybe maybe fallen too in love with with Adrian and Luke. Granted, they've been productive at times too, but you've got other guys that can maybe break a game open that, you know, that are just kind of waving their arms going up. I can help, you know, it's not, you know, I, I can do something too. And I think Wandale's one of those guys. He totally is four catches. I think he had maybe six targets. That's not enough. And, and this, we, we got the same question post after the Ohio state game and we got the same response. Yep. Got to get any more touches. Well, it didn't happen last week. So, I, I mean, hey, you, you love having multiple guys. I agree with you, though. I think that they've kind of fallen in love with a quarterback run game, and it's worked. We've gotten big plays out of both Luke and Adrian running the football, but, man, Wandale's a guy that could take it to the house anytime you get him the ball. If you get it to him in space with this one guy to beat, he can go. All right, let's switch gears, talk some defense with defensive coordinator Eric Shenander. And um, he was asked about a lot of things in, in his first question, um, about things that he liked, things that he didn't like. Uh, and, and, and tackling. and So his assessment of tackling and things that they did well uh, against Northwestern. Here's what he had to say. You know, there's quite a few positives. Obviously, we created two turnovers. Um, you know, we got to start better first and second half, those two drives. Um, you know, that, that just can't happen. And that, that stems from practicing better on Tuesdays. Um, you know, to me, it's, you practice how you play. You got to start fast in practice. You got to start fast in the game. You know, we gave up the big run in the first um, first series, and then they ran that play a couple more times, and it went for negative two. It's just we weren't we weren't triggering. We weren't playing fast. Um, you know, partly probably because there were some new guys in there, but you know, whoever's in the game's got to play. Um, you know, we got some pressure on the quarterback. You know, when anytime you're you're close to you know. Holding the team to around 300 yards, uh, that's pretty good. 
you know, we played the run game well after uh, after that big big run hit in the second half. A um, couple scrambles, but other than that, uh, you know, defended the run well. And there was, you know, you got two turnovers in the pass game, you got some quarterback hits. Uh, and I think they had 160 yards passing. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of positives to take. There's there's some, definitely some things to correct, and part of that's just starting the game faster in both halves. Uh, we tackled well, except for, uh, you know, we missed a couple uh, where guys tried to get on ESPN in the second half and, and blow somebody up. But um, other than that, the, the, the team tackling was pretty well. Comments from Nebraska defensive coordinator Eric Shenander regarding his thoughts for Nebraska's effort against Northwestern. Let's – um, flip the script a little bit and talk about competition for snaps on the defensive side. You heard Coach Lubick talk about that on the offense and what positions that that entail. What about young players on the defensive side of the ball that maybe have earned a right to earn a more a little bit more PT? Um, it was great to see some young kids get some action in there. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that are um, earning opportunity. We talked to the, the, the defense yesterday that um, – you know, I'm not looking to bench people. I'm not looking to um, scare anybody. But there's a lot of young guys that are earning a lot of opportunity, and they need the they need the reps. And however you practice this week is going to determine how many reps those young guys get and how many reps those older guys get. Um, but we definitely saw guys, and you guys know who they are: Miles Farmer, Quentin Newsom, um, Luke Reimer, um, Jordan Riley got back in the game. Some of the outside linebackers um, affected the game probably more in their snaps than, than others. So it's going to be a it's going to be a good week of practice, and guys know that the uh you know it's it's on the line it is on the line as it should be you got a guy that comes yep. in makes a couple of picks and has a game-changing type play sets up your only offensive score um yeah you better believe that they're going to get a shot all right what about penn state let's kind of turn the page a little bit uh, are they better than what they have have shown in terms of record what does coach shenander see when he looks at penn state you never know and this is a kind of a weird year to begin with but um, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, could they have been a little down because they lost a couple early? Maybe. Um, do they have good players? Absolutely. Do they have a good scheme? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, we, we just got to be ready to get Penn State's best shot when they come in here. Um, you know, they definitely have some explosive playmakers, you know, both at receiver and tight end. And their quarterback obviously can do some really nice things both in the air and on the ground. Um, I think they have an experienced offensive line uh, that played well um, in the last few games. So uh, I think we got to be ready for their best shot, thinking that we're going to get a, a top 10 football team rolling in here. And we got to be we got to be ready to play. They do. I mean, Penn State's a hard team to figure out right now because physically they're gifted. They've got a lot of really good players on that team. But we've seen in a, in a number of other teams before, you got to have more than just good players to win. And I think it's, it's, it's kind of the bigger picture right now that Penn State's trying to figure out. We'll talk more about the Nittany Lions as the, as the week progresses. But team's going to be tested. There's a lot of talent on that side of the ball for them. Yep, sure is. Firemuth, the tight ends, as good as the tight ends there is in the country. Dotson has made some unbelievable catches. Clifford is a veteran quarterback. He played lousy against Maryland last week. Usually that means you bounce back and play really well the next week. So I would not expect to see the same Penn State team, Ben, Saturday that played last Saturday against Maryland. That's probably not good news for the Huskers. Wow, really good practice report there. This hour, Nate Klaus, HuskerOnline.com is going to be here. We've not talked to Nate in some time, but there is some news as it relates to Husker football recruiting as we're about five weeks away from the recruiting period for football, basketball, baseball, volleyball, 
Tomorrow is the fall signing period. It's a week long, starts tomorrow. There'll be some news tomorrow night. We'll be able to cover that for you here tomorrow night on the program. But Nate joins us right now on our Sports Nightly Hotline. Nate, great, always great to have you with us. Thanks for being, being by. Uh, the Huskers did add to this 2021 class on Halloween of all times. A uh, big fella out of California. What can you tell us? Yeah, he was, uh, was, was a big, scary Halloween commit right here. Uh, Jalen <laughs> Weaver, 6'8", um, over 300 pounds. I mean, this is uh, this is an athlete that, you know, Nebraska has really kind of tried to target there at that defensive end position, big, tall, uh, lengthy um, body there at that defensive end spot. And, and now that he's committed to Nebraska, um, you know, it kind of gets, it gets that defensive line on the board. Tony Tuyote was the lead recruiter for Jalen Weaver, um, you know, and, and a lot of his Northern California connections uh, came into play here, but really just – that that relationship that that coach Tuioti had been able to build with Jalen uh, is what kind of sealed the deal, and and he committed to Nebraska over Arkansas and Tennessee. Um, Indiana was was one of the finalists in the Big Ten uh, that he had kind of narrowed things down to. Um, you know, he was someone who wanted to kind of get out of California and experience something new. And he, he had about 15-plus offers uh, from around the country, uh, pretty much almost every Power Five conference. So, um, you know, and some coaches and, and uh, you know, evaluators that that, uh, that have had a chance to kind of catch up with, um, you know, in regards to Jalen Weaver, kind of they tell me, you know, that he reminds them of an Eric Armstead type of type of athlete um, in, ter- in terms of size and and um, just where they're at in the same you know in the same age um, you know and he's somebody who had a terrific career at Oregon and who's doing pretty well for the 49ers so uh, it was a big pickup for Nebraska. Nate is Weaver playing right now what is the status of high school football in the state of California? Yeah, so right now um, there is no fall football at all in California. Um, now they are practicing, um, and it's they're kind of uh, just starting to get into it because they're going to have spring football. Um, and actually, I think their season is going to start at the at the uh, you know in the new year, and so um, it's going to kind of be winter football uh, for for us, I guess, but but more more of of a spring football um, in, in terms of California, but uh, they're able to, or they just were, were able to start kind of practicing uh, right now. Um, and I think they'll really start to ramp that up here, uh, here in the next month or so. But uh, uh, yeah, no, no, um, you know, no typical fall season, I guess you could say in California this year. Okay. Very good. Okay. So Weavers commit the 20th of this 2021 class. Where, where do you, where do you and rivals have Nebraska as it relates to the big 10 and where do they sit nationally right now? Yeah, well, nationally, uh, Nebraska is still inside that top 20. Uh, they're sitting at number 17 right now. Um, and just really just, uh, um, you know, a few points outside of 16. So they're, they're all right. They're right there in that, um, you know, right in that top group between 15 and 20, uh, which is where, you know, honestly, which is where uh, Scott Frost and, and this coaching staff has been here over the last three years. They've been pretty consistent in being, you know, right in that 15 to 20 range. And, um, you know, with 20 commits on the board, there's, there's just a, a handful of spots left in this class. And I think they're going to kind of, 
be a little bit selective uh, with who they go after, but at the same time, um, you know, certainly try to get the best best available uh, recruit as well and try to close this thing out, um, you know, as, as well as possible, uh, considering the, the circumstances that they've kind of gone through this year. Visiting again with Nate Klaus of HuskerOnline.com here on Sports Nightly on the Husker Sports Network. We're talking about football recruiting. Well, they're not playing high school football in California. A lot of the FCS schools aren't playing here in the fall. They're going to give a spring season a go, and and that includes teams in the Missouri Valley Conference, and Nebraska's picked up a transfer from one of those and, and from Northern Iowa. What can you tell us about a linebacker from Northern Iowa coming to Lincoln? Yeah, this is uh, kind of an interesting addition for Nebraska, at least especially you know during during this time period. Usually, um, when you want to start talking about um, adding somebody from the transfer portal or, or picking up a grad transfer, that typically happens you know closer to to the the end of a semester, let's say December uh, or even you know May or June, but. Uh, Chris Kalorovic, uh, an inside linebacker out of uh, northern Iowa, um, like you said, they're not playing football this year. And so, um, you know, he had an opportunity with the uh, – basically with having a free year of eligibility um, in, in with his graduation coming up here in December – uh, he's going to be your rare two-year graduate transfer. And, um, you know, Nebraska definitely has a need at the inside linebacker position, and that's a spot they've really tried to address in this recruiting class. Um, you know, and, and he, he put his name in the transfer portal about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, uh, and was, was kind of out there for only about a week uh, before he ended up uh, committing to Nebraska uh, and this was somebody that the Eric Janander jumped on right away. Uh, he's from Traverse City, Michigan, <clears throat> same high school as the Bola brothers out of Michigan State, if you remember those mm-hmm. those really good sure. linebackers that, that came out of Michigan State. Um, that's a high school that, that kind of is a, a little bit of a football factory. Um, and actually, they send a lot of guys to Michigan State. And Kal- Chris Kalorovic's father actually played for the Spartans. So, um, you know, this is somebody who has been very productive at Northern Iowa, uh, was a honorable mention All-American as a redshirt freshman, was a, a second-team all-conference player as a sophomore, and, and really was looked at as possibly being, you know, a defensive player of the year candidate um, heading into this season had they played the football. So um, anything, anytime you can add a graduate transfer that has two years of eligibility, um, you know, it's almost kind of like getting a, a junior college transfer, you know, maybe without some of the baggage that, that sometimes comes with a junior college transfer. So uh, I think this is a really good pickup for, for the Huskers and, and uh, really addresses the position of need in this class. All right, very good. Well, yeah, he'll be a nice addition to this team, and you're right. Depending on whether guys like Colin Miller, Will Honus choose to come back for another year, that could really uh, take a hit if those two guys uh, have this being their last year. Nate, great stuff as always. We're not that far off, are we? What is the exact date of the December signing period? Well, December 15th um, is is right now. So, I mean, we're – we are. We're coming right up on it, um, almost. Yeah. You know, about about a month away. So, um, you know, and it's going to be interesting, Greg, to to see you know how a lot of these kids um, handle this early signing period compared to to recent trends here over the last couple of years, because there haven't been any official visits, there haven't been any unofficial visits. 
Um, you know, and a lot of the players that are still out there that I've talked with are, are still kind of holding out hope that the NCAA will lift those restrictions uh, once the new year comes around, because as things stand right now, it's still going to be a dead period through the month of December. So, um, you know, there there may be more available players out there following the, the early signing period than what we've seen here over the last few years. All right, very good. Well, we'll keep track of it in a year as you're right. That's just right on the corner. We're basically to mid-November here now. Uh, great stuff as always. Nate's also a big Chicago White Sox fan, so I probably shouldn't bring up Tony Larusa around you right now. There seems to be some issues with the White Sox. Yeah, right, huh? that's a little bit of a sore subject there. <laughs> uh, not too happy. Wasn't wasn't too happy about the hire, and, and now all of a sudden, with some of the news that's come out. Um, you know, with the with a little bit of a trouble that that he uh-huh. ran into right before he was named manager. Um, I'm really not not all that excited about it. So, uh, but this is what happens when right when you think you're you're sitting in a good spot and the White Sox fan, you get uh, smacked back to reality sometimes. Crazy world, crazy stuff. Nate, as always, we appreciate it. Thank you. All right, we well, have a good one. No winners in this segment, but we're gonna have some fun. Let's go beyond the headlines. Beyond the headlines. No winners in this segment, Greg. Everyone's a winner for getting to listen to this segment. You guys are winners for getting to answer. I mean, I'm a winner. I get to do this with Mick. Gang's all here. That's right. Just seeing if you're paying attention. People are going to be too tired of the winning after this segment, (laughs) as they always are. Well, let's dive into it with some college football talk. So on Saturday, it took a couple overtimes, but Notre Dame knocked off Clemson in South Bend. And congrats to Tim for calling the upset. I will not compliment Tim too many more times this segment. Wait a minute. (laughs) He's the one that week one picked Duke to beat Notre Dame. So come on. (laughs) Tim's the best. I'll, I'll, give him, everything. I'll, I'll give him credit for this one and, and nothing else. So according to ESPN's college football playoff predictor, Notre Dame has a 47% likelihood and Clemson a 45% likelihood to make the college football playoff. Which of those two teams do you guys think has the easier or more likely path to the college football playoff? And who are the four teams in this year's edition? Ooh. I think Clemson will win the rematch because they'll have Trevor Lawrence, and they'll play again in the ACC title game, and that'll be the last impression on everybody's mind is that they lost in double overtime without Lawrence. They beat him in the title game, so they get in. So I think Notre Dame still has a little bit tougher path. What's interesting, and I'm looking at those same playoff odds that you just quoted, why is Wisconsin in the five-hole? I don't get that. I mean, they're going to end up having at most seven games. I just don't know that I see – Somebody taking them. I don't know why they're in the five-hole, but Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, and I'm going to give Oregon a shot. I'm going to put Oregon in my four spot. Pac-12. Man, before last week, I would have really considered Georgia because I thought that defense was good. Thought that defense was good. My opinion has (laughs) since changed. Uh, Might be the Gators. Could be the Gators. I, you know, they're they're really playing well. If they could they could stay out of the COVID trouble, you know, they they may have a may have an issue, but I, I'm going to roll the dice and say the Cincinnati Bearcats get in. Ooh. So I'll have the big three, and I'll roll with Cincy. Luke Fickle against uh, his old alma mater, 
in the college football playoff. How about that? Wow. wow. Cincinnati, the first group of five team. You heard it here first, folks. You that, did. The, the Gators probably get beat by Bama in the SEC title game, right? Have you to would think so. Probably yeah, would think what so. happens. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, it's Fall Masters Week. And one of the traditions, unlike any other, are unique <laughs> stories, unli- unreal highlights, and pre-tournament drama as the golfers make their way down to Augusta and play their practice rounds. This year, it's hard to imagine anything topping John Rahm. The Spaniard hit a hole-in-one on his practice round yesterday, and today hit another absurd hole-in-one on number 16. If you haven't seen the clip yet or know about the tradition on number 16, he skipped the ball across the water. Took about three skips, bounced to the back right edge of the green, and tracked all the way across the putting surface to the front left pin location. On top of that, it's his birthday. Talk about a hot streak. What are some of the most truly out-of-this-world plays that you guys have seen in sports? Hmm. That, that, I mean, you take situation out of it, just a feat on its own, maybe is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Ever. Like in any sport ever. I mean, it is, it is that stupid of a shot. Like it's, it's one of those things where it's like you're messing around and, you know, it's kind of like that water bottle craze where you flip the water bottle up and it lands on its head. I mean, times that by like a million, and that's what happened. I mean, it's just one of those fluke things that he could, he could stand on 16T and hit a 1,000 balls and never do that again. Right. I mean, that, it was just that, that crazy of a feat. Um. I mean, there's been some crazy, like, football catches that I've seen. I think I think the Jim Edmonds catch that he had in center field sure. where he's diving backwards. Um, Gary Matthews Jr. had a catch with the Rangers where he literally all in one motion just scaled the wall, jumped up, and robbed a homer. Like, some of those things are just, like, by themselves, the sit- – the situation would never call that for the greatest play ever, but just standalone situation out of it are some of the most incredible things you've ever seen happen on a sports field. A lot, lot of guys w- w- got it on the green, skipping it across the lake. It's pretty cool how they do it. Uh, but, yeah, to make it, just incredible. It was amazing. Go go find it on social media if you haven't seen it. It's well worth the watch. Um David Tyree catching that ball in the Super Bowl up against his helmet. Oh, yeah. Pretty remarkable thing that he did there. Um, You you know, there's been just a lot of those type of things in sports. Ben brought up a couple baseball ones. Trying to think a couple of basketball, maybe buzzer beaters. Full court shots. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But in a big setting. I don't know that I can come up with one in a big setting where somebody hit a three-quarter court. What, Reggie Miller's like seven points and – or nine, 11 nine points, points in seven yeah. seconds. That yeah, was nine pretty points cool. in seven seconds. That's the, pretty When incredible. Duke beat Kentucky in the early 90s in the NCAA tournament with the long pass to Leitner and he spun and hit the shot, that was a pretty cool moment. But, yeah, that ROM thing today was phenomenal. I don't know if I could skip a rock across that. My dude does it with a golf ball and gets a hole in one. Stupid. I, Just stupid. <laughs> I, I don't understand. What, what was, did he use? What did he hit off the tee? I assume a golf ball. They well, <laughs> they they usually use a a long iron and then really attack down at it, almost almost hitting hit, it thin. Hit down. Yeah. yeah, I know you're hitting a stinger pretty much, but I didn't know like what you used to to hit that. Like, using a hybrid. What or do you think, Mick? A four but, iron, five iron? That's maybe? what I would do if I were to try it. Yeah. But I, I don't know what he hit. 
By the way, uh, when is our scheduled tea time, Mick? Is that is that are we on to next year now? Have we has the window closed on this opportunity to go play around golf? We are uh, open year round as long as the weather's good enough. So it counts <laughs> on the sun. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll stick with with tees and balls on tees, but we go to the sport of baseball. And Greg, you touched on this with semi-resident White Sox fan Nate Klaus at the end of your chat with him with Tony La Russa in some hot water already the 76 year old was arrested for DUI back in February charged the day after the White Sox hired him but it got worse he tried to big time the officer showing him his World Series ring and asking the famous do you know who I am question of the officer is Tony La Russa a big enough deal to try to be big timing his way out of this no should not be and, and, and I might be wrong, Austin, but I don't think Nate was a big fan of the hire. It didn't sound maybe, like it to me. Either. Maybe I read him wrong, but I don't think he liked the hire. <laughs> Crazy that he would drop the, I'm a baseball Hall of Famer. I mean, come on. It's just embarrassing. And the White Sox are embarrassing because they knew about it and still went ahead with this thing. It's a bad, bad look for them. They fire a guy who almost became manager of the year tonight. He was one of the three finalists in the American League. I know he didn't win it. Cash from Tampa did, but what just an embarrassing month and a half for Chicago. You really think that's going to help you get out of a ticket? If I'm a <laughs> cop and someone does that to me, I'm, I'm checking your tags. I'm checking your window tint. I'm checking everything else I can to just smash you. And say, yeah, have fun paying all this other stuff, Hall of Famer, Tony La Russa. <laughs> I mean, you just don't do that. You don't treat people like that. You don't – you're not above the law, you know. I mean, again, I'm no policeman or I don't enforce laws um, unless we're playing buy-sell or anything like that. But if I were in that position, I would be much more likely to – I wouldn't say let him go because you don't just let someone go with a DUI, but, you know – be nice, be cordial, be civil about it. You know, if it's like a speeding ticket or whatever, I'm giving that guy a break that's respectful, that, you know, admits that, you know, yeah, I, I admit it, I shouldn't have done that or whatever. Like somebody that's honest and upfront and sincere about it. If you're big-timing me, you're getting a ticket 11 out of 10 times. 100%. And I think if the cop was willing to let him slide, like was that big of a fan and things like that, he would know what he looks like and let it and just do it. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, not a good look, buddy. All right, moving on, gentlemen. Uh, the Boston Boston Celtics player, coach, and broadcasting legend Tommy Heinsohn passed away at age 86 earlier today. Heinsohn was beloved in Boston as he was associated with the team for each of their 17 titles. I grew to recognize him mostly from his voice, voice and bro- broadcasting style from watching Celtics broadcasts on NBA League Pass. So I ask... Who would be your dream broadcasting team to broadcast your favorite team over a long period of time? And it doesn't necessarily have to make sense. It, it could be active. They could be retired. They could have even passed away. Wow. Heinsohn used to also do beer commercials that were pretty good, too, back in the 80s. <laughs> go, go YouTube those. They're pretty fun. Yeah. Wow. Favorite broadcast team. Man. Can you I, pick and choose from I, different ones, or does it have to sure, be like a yeah, mix and match? Yeah, it doesn't have to make Build sense. Build your booth. I've made it no bones about it. I'm a big Brad Nessler fan for college football. Love his voice. Yeah. When I hear him talking, I'm going, it's a big game we're about to watch. Love his pipes. Love the way he calls an action. So give me Brad Nessler, Ben, on my play-by-play guy. I'm glad you chose him because I was between two and he was one, so I'll just take the other one by default. 
Keith Jackson, God rest yeah. his soul. Yep. I mean, my God, his, you, you know, every now and again, I'll, I'll go on a Keith Jackson rabbit hole on YouTube and just watch his little stand-up intros that he does, you know, talking about the two teams that are playing. Like, I'm not even seeing guys in uniform, but give me a wall. I'm going to run through it right now. Like, yeah. it's just this is just an old dude standing on a bunch of steps on a college campus, and I'm ready to go hit somebody. So give me him. Um, I don't know. I don't know about color guy. I mean, people want to knock on Herb Street, but he really does do a good job. He does. When he is when I he's agree. when he's calling the game, just calling the game and not get you know not doing the game day stuff, not doing you know the opinion stuff that is on sports. And when he's calling a game, I don't know if there's anybody better. So give me Herb Street. I know people don't like him. That's probably not going to be a popular pick, but give me Herb Street. Give me Keith Jackson, and I'm happy. That's a pretty tough combo to beat right there. That's that's really really solid. Um, you know, Nessler's partner on CBS, Gary Danielson's really good. Has been doing college games for a couple of decades now. Doesn't have the best voice, maybe. Collinsworth on on Sunday Night Football. You're not a big fan. I, I kind of like Collinsworth, uh, but he tends to really pump up everybody. Everybody's oh, really man. good. And that's what made that's what made last Sunday night so great. Is because those teams that were so yeah. terrible and awful. He couldn't do it, and he almost yeah. like embraced it. You know. You're you're watching those two teams, you know, in a pillow fight, and and you could tell Al Michaels just wasn't having any of that matchup, um, you know. But yeah, he everybody's the best ever at edit to ever do it, you know, to Collinsworth, and well, I, that just drives me nuts. How about to this pair? pair oh, go ahead. Nick. Uh, to to be fair, it was like a 28 point game when he finally stopped talking about how how well Tom Brady can do in comebacks and and things like that. So. The 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 Cowboys and Eagles game was just wretched. Comedy. Listen to Al Michaels call. How about that game? A pairing of Keith Jackson and John Madden. That would be pretty pretty good, right? Those two guys. It'd be entertaining, nonetheless. Give me Kevin Harlan and Tony Romo. There you go. You're taking Nance away, huh? Look, Tony Romo. Tony Romo was solid, but. It, it's like I really liked Tony Romo when he first started, but ever since this whole Swami thing has completely gotten to his head. Now he try and does it so every single play. He's sitting there trying to call what's going to happen, and, and it's, it just gets so annoying. The other thing about it is he's always running over Nance. Yeah. Nance can't ever call the game because Tony is sitting there, blah, 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 safety this, safety this, and a cat corner this, watch the blitz, blah, 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 and the ball's in the end zone, and Nance is like, and a touchdown for Denver. It's like, let the guy call the game. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll stick in the, in the NFL and we'll also stick in the Northeast and also with quarterbacks. So a little bit of verisimilitude between these two topics. So last night, former NFL quarterback Matt Castle went on NBC oh, yeah. Sports Boston. Ben, you know where I'm going with this one. And Matt Castle recounted a story from a game back when Castle and then head coach Todd Haley with the Chiefs. The story's pretty great, and I'd love to play the two-and-a-half-minute clip, but we have a beyond-the-headlines question to get to. But someone on Twitter posed this question in response to the video, and I'm absolutely fascinated to hear your answers, Chiefs fans. Would you rather have a trio of Scott Pioli, Todd Haley, and Patrick Mahomes, or Brett Veach, Andy Reid, and Matt Castle? Ooh. That's easy for me. Give me Veach, Andy, and Castle. Andy's so gonna, good. 
and they're going to assemble make it, a team around them. Right. They'll make they'll make it work. They won't be Super Bowl champions. They'll make it work. But God, Patrick is so good. But if he, if, what makes Patrick good, and he'll admit it, is is Andy so good with him. And and you know he's got Tyreek Hill, Travis. Kill. I mean, he's got a lot yeah. of insanely talented players around him. And here's the deal. For as good as Mahomes is, by week three, he would be so pissed off at Todd Haley <laughs> that it would start bleeding into his performances on Sundays because that's just what happens. So, yeah, give me give me the latter. But I did see that story, and it just, and the best part about it is how Matt Castle drops in the Brody Croyle line. Like <laughs> people people think Chiefs fans are so spoiled. You had no idea, other than the Bears fans and the Jets fans and the Browns fans, like you have no idea what it was like, the lineage of quarterbacks that we went through in Kansas City Tyler in the Thigpen, 2000s. Tyler Palco. Oh, Tyler yeah. Thigpen, Tyler Palco, Brody Croyle, just the amount of <laughs> it, it, it was just putrid, putrid having to watch those guys run out there and try and throw a pass. And yet you still take those guys over Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. In this situation. In, in this scenario. <laughs> All right, since I'm so excited about the Masters, I'm going to loop back around to golf. Um, But this evening at Augusta National, the Masters Club Champions Dinner is being served in honor of Mr. Tiger Woods. He has chosen a menu starting with sushi dubbed as the Augusta Roll, featuring shrimp tempura, spicy tuna, and avocado. The main course consists of steak and chicken fajitas, and the meal is rounded out with flan and churros for dessert. Hmm. This may be a layup question for you guys. (laughs) <laughs> but if a dinner were served in your honor for a tremendous achievement, what would be on the menu? Ooh. And what would your achievement be? I would be crush that meal Masters? right now, by the way. I am so hungry. <laughs> God, that sounds good. I haven't had sushi in forever. Um, give me like a lobster bisque, um, some type of like house salad, something light. Um, I would need another app. I, I, maybe like a scallop, like a scallop app, and then we're going, we're going straight surf and turf for dinner, like a fillet with crab prime legs. rib. Or no, no, no prime rib. I, I, hey, I mean, I could do some, I could do some prime rib, uh, but I'm probably going fillet. If I have all the other stuff, I don't need as big of a cut of meat for the entree, uh, just because I have all the other stuff. Um, with like, got my mouth watering. <laughs> Didn't you have prime rib at our Thanksgiving dinner a couple years ago in Iowa City? Um, no, that was a that was another party. But I think it, maybe okay. I did have it. I think I did have it. Did I don't you? know that I finished okay. it. Um, there was another soldier with us that night that came to battle. How about some risotto? Would you put some risotto on your plate? Yeah, throw some yeah. risotto in there. Yeah, and then yeah. I just give me a nice clean. New York cheesecake for dessert. Nothing on it. I don't need the strawberry crap on top. Right. I don't need. I don't need any of that swirl business in the middle. Just give me a nice, fat chunk of cheesecake. I, I'm surfing. I'm a surfing turf guy too. I'll probably go crab legs with a fillet, and some risotto on the side. And yeah, let's let's do it. I'm down. Love it. All right. Last thing, we go weird and wacky. And across the Pacific Ocean in the Huangpu district of Shanghai, an 85-year-old five-story school was excavated in its entirety and moved 200 feet over 18 days to make room for a new office building. The engineers moved it by digging under it, putting down 198 artificial legs that essentially made it walk like a human. 
and move it to its new home, like I said, about 200 feet away. It's going to turn into a museum of some sort. So if you guys could undergo that process with one sports venue and replace it with something newer while keeping the old venue for history purposes, what venue would it be? Wow. Well, Ben saw maybe the oldest sports venue in the world on your trip to Italy last year. Yeah. The Coliseum would Coliseum. be in that category. Um, man. I feel, I, think like, you, I, I feel like the obvious answer is like Wrigley Field, right? Or I Fenway. Mean, yeah, yeah, you got to move it and you got to upgrade, but you can't. You just can't get rid of it, period. Right. Yeah. I'm with you on those two things. Um, there'll be some some well austin's duke blue devils cameron indoor you probably wouldn't want to mess with that or allen Fieldhouse and lawrence you'd probably want to, to preserve those two classic buildings even the palestra yeah yeah i've always wanted to be i've never been inside the palestra I really that's something on my bucket list there you go that's all well seven done. there we go well you're right you guys had some classic stuff in there how do we get some surf and turf to my house that's what I need. It's a yeah. good question. I think Red Lobster's on DoorDash. Mick, who's your? Give me your. Give me. Give me three guys to keep an eye on this week at the Masters. Who, who you got? Who you like? Okay, Colin Morikawa is playing in his first ever Masters, but I think he's hot and he's got the play style to get into it. Uh, Ben's gonna hate it, but Bryson is absolutely gonna bomb this course, and he's gonna make for a lot shorter shots than everybody else is hitting, and. I, I actually like the way that Francesco plays the Masters, even though he's not your typical um, player. Did you hear Francesco Bryson's Monk. quote? Bryson's quote was, okay, it's a par 72, but for me it plays as a 67. Yeah, he thinks he's really tough. I, I honestly can't stand <laughs> him, but he is uh, leading golf right now. He is, he is it's, truly spectacular. I think only one time in the last 60 years as a first-timer to Augusta won – so that would take Colin out of the mix for me. Um, hard to pick against DJs playing so well. John Robb's doing that kind of stuff today. He's, on, he's been on fire the last three or four months. Those would be two guys near the top for me uh, for this week. So it'll be fun. Well, that'll put a wrap on tonight's show. Thanks to Ben, to Austin, to Mick. Great job by the boys on our Beyond the Headlines segment. We don't get that in very much this time of year. And even with basketball cranking up, probably even fewer times. But we do enjoy that segment an awful lot. All right, tomorrow night, Buy Sell comes back. Another edition of the Husker Huddle with Jeremiah Searles and the Big Ten Blitz. We'll check out what's about to happen this weekend with Wisconsin, Purdue, and Indiana. Looking forward to all that tomorrow night here on the program. Thanks for being a part of this one. Enjoy your night.